0: Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship. And everything in between.
1: CBS Sports presents...
2: And welcome back to the the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. Just minutes before midnight here on the East Coast. It is minutes before 11, uh, where... Barton Simmons and Tom Frenelli join me. Gentlemen, uh, week 13, not quite in the books. We still got Utah out there. We still got Boise out there, uh, as well as uh, a few other games. So how are we feeling? We've got a lot of headlines to get to. We've got protests to talk about. We've got overtimes. We've got a streak. We've got locks to discuss. Lock Unity is uh, very divided. Um, I, Barton, the winner first. Yeah, how, the game. Lot to talk about, but I, I know at least uh, you you got to be feeling good to have that W and the uh, the Ivy League title.
3: Did you guys watch the game? Not no, the, the game. end.
2: I was I was I knew, tuned in early, and I bailed before halftime, and uh, I was caught up with other stuff for the ending.
3: I knew Tom was dialed in to a certain degree, but I mean, honestly, with with no uh, bias here. It, it had, that had to have been the game of the day. I mean, you had, well, you had protesters at halftime, delaying the game an hour uh, for the sake of climate change awareness. You had Yale playing for an Ivy League title, down I think nineteen was the most they were down, half down mm-hmm. fourteen with like four minutes left, go down and score, get an onside kick. All the while, there's no lights in the stadium, so they have to get this game finished before, like, 4.30. And the my buddies that were there said it was basically, like, pitch dark by the time the game ended. And Yale got an onside kick and ended up winning in double overtime. I mean, that's the game of the day.
0: I, yeah, I, I think it was great because, like, there was the comeback, and then, like you said, the, it was a race against the sun. <laughs>
2: right. After a climate change protest. Yes. Yeah. So it's like it was perfect
0: because the kids were worried about global warming and then the sun went down and it got cooler. So everybody in the end got what they wanted. Everybody won. Yeah.
2: No, they. I, I did see over during that point And, man, like I don't – have you guys ever watched a golf tournament where they have to – where they're chasing daylight? There's a lot of tension when you're battling Mother Nature in addition to the opponent.
3: Well, like – Harvard had Harvard called a timeout for a fourth down. The second overtime, Yale had already scored up seven. Harvard had fourth down, and they called a timeout. And I was thinking, man, I don't know if I'd call that timeout. Like by the time this time, with it's it's gonna be even darker. Like you just get just get the play out, otherwise you're screwed. So like the whole thing was uh was pretty wild, and uh, but good for good for the Eli's knocking off harvard three in a row now boys ivy league League, (laughs) League champs
0: it was all flashback to like playing with your friends at the park when the sun was going down and you had to get home so you had to finish the game before the sun went down
3: gotta get in before mom calls
2: Mm -hmm. uh shout out to tony reno your former db's coach did i hear that right on hq
3: that's right right. yeah shout out and then and and uh whatever uh, Tim Murphy, Harvard coach after the game was like, uh, had a had a little salty. Our our guys deserve to win. Comment, Ooh. Tony Reno. Tony Tony Reno said our guys deserve to win too. <laughs> so, <laughs> a, little, a little salt there at the end, but I was loving it. We'll take it. <laughs> uh, hey, by the, and by the way, that we'll will we'll finish on this. Uh, Tony Reno, yet another wildly successful coach that is a head guy with without ever having coordinator experience. Hire the CEOs. Go hire the CEOs. You don't have to hire an is and nose guy.
2: When it says that he is the uh, Joel E. Smilo 54 head coach of football, that doesn't mean he graduated in 1954, right?
3: Uh, that's just the endowed position. It's mm. the endowed head coaching role.
2: Mm. Got it. Stanford's trying to do that, too, with like the Andrew Luck offensive coordinator.
3: Right. Yeah, Yeah, they got. Yeah, Yeah, nerd stuff, nerd stuff, nerd stuff.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so uh, let's let's dig into the one uh, top 10 upset. We before we get into Ohio State over Penn State, before we get into uh, some of the other action in the day, we just put to bed Arizona State holding on for a win against Oregon. It was a low scoring, a little bit of a rock fight. The Arizona State defense was doing a good job against Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert didn't have a great day, but he was able to turn it on in the fourth quarter. Uh, Tom, you were you were on top of this uh, big time for CBS Sports.com. So as as Oregon's making its charge back, uh, do you do you remain like or do you isolate the deep? Jane Daniels touchdown pass as kind of like the play of the game? Or do you see uh, Jane Daniels or Arizona State's performance in the fourth quarter as a whole as sort of the the thing that allowed the Sun Devils to be able to hold on for the victory?
0: I I think that the you're talking about the 81-yard touchdown yeah. on third and 16. Well, yeah, I think that's the play of the game for sure, just because of the situation, you know, third and 16 clinging to a lead oregon's got it's all just, the momentum
2: yeah oregon had just scored too mm-hmm. i mean that was yeah, nuts. They're,
0: they're about to get the ball back they're probably going to score and oh my god they're going to complete this comeback and read everything and then he just nails you know um, what's his name down the sideline there at third and 16 for the 81 you're a touchdown with a beautiful throw and a great catch too It was a fingertip catch but i i felt like arizona state was in control for the entire game before things just got like ridiculous there in the fourth quarter like i i wrote that the game got into mom and dad's liquor cabinet and you mentioned justin herbert you know coming through with those touchdowns late to lead the the charge but justin herbert's also the one who dug the hole because herbert mm-hmm. for the most part was just bad uh, or not I, uh, yeah no bad he was bad for the most part in this game i think after the three don't quarters, be scared
3: tom yeah, he, don't be scared don't he, be scared to say it you know what? I'm sick of being scared to say it. He was bad. He was bad. He's he was 10 for 20 after
0: three quarters. And then he threw the two interceptions in the fourth quarter that, you know, proved to be the deciding factor because that's what made the deficit so large. That's what he had to come back from. And yeah, he threw a couple really nice throws on the touchdown drives to get Oregon back in. But had he just been doing that all day and not waited until the fourth quarter Oregon wins this game, Oregon is still en route to the Pac-12 championship with a chance to go to the playoff, and as things stand, Oregon's still going to play for a Pac-12 title, and they could still get to a Rose Bowl if it gets there and beats Utah. But its playoff hopes are dead, and I I hate doing it, you know, because it's always way too simplistic to blame a quarterback when a team loses or give them the credit when their team wins, but this is one of those times where Occam's Razor is right. This, this one was on Herbert, because the rest of the team played well. Oregon's rushing game was fine. They averaged five and a half yards per carry. Its defense did the job for three quarters, even though Arizona state had the ball a lot. They were only had 13 points after the first 45 minutes. So Oregon's defense was keeping them in the game. It wasn't until those interceptions in the fourth quarter where Oregon's defense kind of finally broke and they gave up the two scores that, you know, gave the deficit. So, and again, even late after it, it was Oregon's defense that was keeping them in the game until that third and 18 pass for the touchdown they finally, you know, broke their back again. But yeah, man, that one's on Herbert and I I don't know any other way to really put it.
2: Speak Herbert your truth, is, brother Barton.
3: Herbert is the emperor's clothes prospect this year. The guy and and it's taken me a while to 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 have the conviction on this because I was, I was part of the, I was one of the peasants that was trying to pretend like they saw the emperor's clothes. The emperor's not wearing clothes. He's it. it, it, You, we can all pretend like he is this really good first round number one overall potential pick because that's what everyone's telling us. But the reality is if, if we're watching him, that's not what he's playing. Like he's always herky jerky. He never looks like he's playing in rhythm. He is big enough, to have a strong arm, and he is a good player. I don't want to make it sound like he's a bum. Like, what? Well, he's a good player. Of course, he's a good player. He's very talented. But the the next time I'm impressed with a Justin Herbert performance will be the first time. Like, I never leave a game being like, well, Justin Herbert was just unstoppable. Like, there's times when he'll make big plays. There's times when he he looks really good, but. I never leave a game being like that was the best player on the field was the Oregon quarterback. And 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 maybe it's maybe there's other behind the scenes reasons why he's not as good as the some of his traits. But if, and I'm I'm alluding to maybe like offensively the the system is is in, should be in the crosshairs or the receivers aren't getting open for him. Whatever it is. Like that to tonight was much closer to the typical Justin Herbert that I've seen in the big games when I watch him most of the time than the sort of, quote, first-round quarterback. I'm just not – I don't get it. At, at this point, I don't get it. But I tell you who will be a first-round quarterback is the other
2: <laughs> <Jane> Daniels.
3: <laughs> That's my dude right there.
2: You called it early. You called it in, like – because uh, he was an early enrollee, right? And at the end of spring yeah. practice, they named him the starter. And you're like, well, if uh, if it only took a couple weeks, then he might be the real deal after all. So now, uh, on a team that is not just Jane Daniels, but that is young throughout, Arizona State uh, five and five going into it, six and five now. They are probably see they got the Arizona game. They're probably going to finish seven and five. But you got to think that going into next season. Uh, this Arizona State team is going to be, unfortunately, everyone's dark horse. But this this win makes a lot of the, the close, tough losses that we've seen from Arizona State. And Arizona State's had a bunch. I mean, Utah kind of uh, kicked it in on them a little bit. Uh, they've had a couple of one-score losses already this season, up and down team for the most part. But to be able to get this victory here, especially at home, that's uh that's gonna make them the sexy trendy team in twenty twenty.
3: J Daniels threw you see that, that that deep ball to Brandon Ayuk at the sideline to, to seal the game. He mm-hmm. threw about eighty of those in the last two years in high school. Like he is a chucker, man. And 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 he is I've never seen him rattled or anything but just even keel. Uh and that's going to be a pretty good grounding force for that team over the next few years. You know, I, I I hesitate to continue to just sort of jump on the hurt. Like I feel like that that was what you just said, Chip, was sort of the same thing people were saying preseason this year. So I don't I'm not quite sure what to make of this team long term yet. But I but damn it, if I don't like their quarterback.
0: Yeah, he had what 408 yards and three touchdowns, and for me, this was a huge game for him. Not just because you know, they knocked off Oregon, who's you know one of the best teams in the conference and has one of the best defenses. But it was some vindication for him because if you remember, you know, in October when they played at Utah, he had a horrible game. It was 4 of 18 for 25 yards. So for him to bounce back from that performance and have this kind of night at home, you know, in the primetime spotlight game, I think is just a very good sign for him going forward but at the same time i think you're right they there will be the arizona state bandwagon going the next season but i don't want to jump on it yet simply because i've seen too many freshman qbs who are looking really good as freshmen and then never really take that step forward
2: right and there's uh you know uh, is eno benjamin senior he's got to be right uh, uh i think he's just a junior
0: ooh anyway but he he's probably gone though don't you think I would imagine – I've got a bad gone.
2: feel for running backs and a kind of bad feel for the NFL draft in general, but
0: – I just I just think if, if you're a running back and you're eligible for the draft and you're going to get drafted, go.
2: Mm, good call. All right, uh, before we move on, on Oregon, do you feel like this one result has greatly changed your view of the team? I guess, Tom, first. Because, like, you know, we had them – it positioned – In this collision course with Utah and we all talked it through and we all knew that Oregon and I will say at least uh, here among friends, uh, which is, of course, the three of us and our our listeners that we love so much, I, I feel like our analysis of Oregon didn't rely on Justin Herbert as the best player. Our analysis of Oregon recognized them as a really, really good defensive team with an elite offensive line, and when they could ground and pound you and when they could just like run it up, they were running it up because they were winning field position, getting short field, scoring quick. I mean, they got speed at the wide receiver position, but when you compare – I was thinking about this when we were you know, sitting here just dragging Justin Herbert. I was like, well, Justin Herbert does not have the wide receiver talent that a lot of the other top quarterbacks do. So should we adjust our, our sliding scale? Maybe, but he's also been, as, as we have said already, he's also just kind of been bad. Um, but this Oregon team was not based on Justin Herbert. It was not based on the passing game. That let them down does the tom does the loss here change the way that you view this team to sort of in the big picture and what it's been in 2019
0: kind of i mean this it's been a roller coaster ride for me with oregon to begin with because it was early in the year when i was skeptical of it and then in the last few weeks was when they were rolling and i was kind of just like okay i see it i see the path i see all this stuff working out and then tonight you know he just ran into a buzzsaw in arizona state and just yeah i I still think this is a team, I think Cristobal's done a very good job in a very short amount of time turning this into a program that can be considered a Pac-12 contender and can be considered a playoff contender if it's in that conversation like it was in that conversation before tonight's loss. So I think these are all very good signs going forward. I still think this is a top 10 team for sure. I don't think that this loss should, you know, take them out of that equation. It's just there's still obviously improvement. And I think that, you know, like we've (laughs) – bring the bus back. I feel like if they improve at quarterback, this is a team that could be really good. And maybe not even necessarily improve. Just get somebody who's not as prone to some mistakes as as Justin has been at times.
3: All right. I I just think that we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater with this Oregon team and – And I don't think that this loss should somehow color their season. Truthfully, this is kind of what I thought Oregon was. It was a yeah toss up against Auburn, lose somewhere else along the way, finish with a couple losses. Um, So so that they have become that, and that they didn't sort of exceed our expectations and go 11 and one. I think is you know like. I hope this doesn't turn into some sort of indictment on like Mario Cristobal or something because they lost Arizona State. This was a this was a tough tough spot to go into Tempe and win this game. So uh, Oregon's still a really good team. Oregon can still beat Utah. Oregon can still win a Pac-12 championship. This is still a fantastic season for Oregon. Um, but I thought going into this game and I thought leaving this game that Utah was the best team in the Pac-12, and and I guess we'll find out.
2: You were on that since July. You're going to get us on that one. Because Utah does look like the best team. Uh, you know I mentioned this before. They they look like one of the most complete teams. As we are recording right now, Utah is in the red zone, up 21 nothing, potentially about to go up 28 nothing. This Utah defense is not going to ooh. Maybe not. We got some penalties. Anyway, We'll keep you updated <laughs> as things as things move on. But I will say that the Utah defense has it such that I don't think an upset is in order. And it does look like Utah is the uh, the Pac twelve uh, f- flavor du jour at least in terms of trying to get that conference into the college football playoff for the first time since twenty fifteen or sixteen when uh, Washington was in twenty sixteen when Washington sixteen yeah when Washington was in. Um, okay, so. From Oregon, let's uh, let's let's roll it back a little bit. We've got it. We've got an Oklahoma survival against TCU, and this was uh, Barton. Did you get many eyes on this game?
3: Uh, which game, Oklahoma TCU? Yeah, uh, that was a second screener for me uh, here and there. Yeah, it was. It, it felt like there was a lot of. Uh, Oklahoma moving the football and then turning it over in the red zone. Mm-hmm. Was I catching that correctly?
0: Mm-hmm. Three turnovers for Oklahoma.
3: Yeah, that killed our unity. Over.
0: Yep. Thanks, Jalen.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I will say, like on our CBS expert picks, even though there are all kinds of trends saying that like Oklahoma was going to beat uh, TCU by a lot, the I. I picked TCU to cover strictly because I don't think this Oklahoma team is that much better than anyone in the Big 12. And this is yet another game that proves that. And while they keep on winning and keep on getting solid wins, and a W's a W, and Oklahoma fans will come at me for this, but at some point, like if you're not winning in impressive fashion in this, this time of year, then... I think you're like that. W doesn't count. Like it's not enough just to get a W. And it's been a. When was the last time Oklahoma gave us any more than the minimum to get a W?
0: Yeah, and even that Texas win just kind of looks less and less impressive as the weeks go by. But no, this. I mean, this was like a four-point game. But if you look at the box score. TCU only had 204 yards of offense and Oklahoma just kept turning the ball over and letting it hang around. One of TCU's touchdowns was on, you know, a pick six. So it's like this, I just think that Oklahoma in the last few weeks, man, against, you know, it came back obviously last week against Baylor, but they've just been like really sloppy. They're just not as sharp as what we saw offensively. The last couple of years, you know, with Kyler Murray, with Baker Mayfield since Lincoln Riley took over and there's just there's like I said, there's not a crispness to it. Like, you know, they're going to score and you still think that they're going to win. But it's if you watch that 2017 team and that 2018 team and this team, it's clear this team to me is not as good as the Oklahoma team is the last two years.
2: I will challenge that. Uh Because I do think the 2017 2017 team and the 2018 team did mess around in Big Ten play. Like um, 51-46 against Texas Tech, 48-47 against Oklahoma State, 59-56 against West Virginia. That was last year's team with Kyler Murray. Uh, The year before, you had a Kansas State game that was 42-35. Oklahoma State was 62-52. Uh, then they kind of took care of business down the stretch. 49-41 against Baylor earlier in the season. And I I actually, Tom, go back to something that you – I think that when we were talking about LSU early in the season, you mentioned I, you know, how much of this is LSU's defense has taking a step back and how much of this is something that we just have to factor in about almost like a mentality, a philosophy. and And what is it about – Maybe the Oklahoma offense, where because you are so explosive and because on average you're getting like nine yards per play. I mean, it doesn't end up being nine yards per play. You don't snap it on first down and you have second and one every single time Oklahoma has the ball. But because you're you're that prolific, that maybe the the sloppiness, not that it's a a built in feature, but that it is some kind of like built in symptom of being in. Uh, a a unit that is going to operate with that kind of explosive philosophy. Does that make any sense at all? That it's just, it's just part of the Lincoln Riley experience. Like, yeah, like you might just get in some of these games or you're going to be messing around because it's almost like uh, Oklahoma wants a feeling you out period. Like a, like a boxer or something.
0: I, I, I get what you're saying, but while Oklahoma has messed around at times in the last couple of years, have any of those included four game stretches of messing around? Because this is a team that lost to Kansas State by seven, beat Iowa State by one, and let Iowa State come back late in that game to close, you know, make it close, had to come back last week to beat Baylor by three, and tonight beat TCU by four. It's like they've been – they're n- – they're fooling around every week now. They it's did it all November. Thing.
2: Last yeah. last year was all November. It was 51-46 K- Texas Tech, 48-47 Oklahoma State, 55-40 Kansas, 59-56 West Virginia, then 39-27 against Texas in the Big 12 title game. They just like, they came down the stretch and... You know, we were obsessed with Tua, and then Tua got a little bit banged up, and then he got replaced by Jalen, and we were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Kyler's been leading these awesome Oklahoma wins, and the world just kind of changed right there. And I just – I – I'm wondering if like Jalen and and the way this Oklahoma offense is, it's missing a Marquise Brown. It's missing a lot of pieces. And philosophically, this Oklahoma offense does want to run in a way that the Baker and Kyler-led offenses, I think, were probably passed first. But um, I don't know, man. I just kind of think Oklahoma gets in these kind of games. And if as long as you keep winning them, I'm willing to let you remain in the conversation, even if it doesn't, leave me I don't walk away from the game being like that's a national champion it's like no but as long as they can continue to score one more point than the opponent they deserve a spot at least in the conversation
0: well let me go back to this then because my original point was mostly that I feel like the offense isn't as crisp last year in big 12 play Oklahoma scored 50.3 points per game this year in Big 12 play. Before tonight, and this is, so this is have gone down, they were averaging 43.3 yards per game. So if we include tonight plus 28 divide by eight, they're at 41.3. So they're literally nine points fewer per game in Big 12 play this year on offense. So I think that kind of backs up that my the offense isn't as crisp.
3: So I, I do think that that's a good reminder, Chip. Because as you were describing the whole Lincoln Riley experience, um, and and excusing the the sloppiness to a degree, uh, I was I was about to say, well, just doesn't this team feel different than the Kyler Murray team and the Baker Mayfield teams? And the the answer is, it probably shouldn't feel that different. Like it sounds like the results were pretty similar last year, and so I think that that is there's probably some truth to that in just the sense of Oklahoma wins in shootouts and it's 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 hard to stomach sometimes that that's the way it operates but it just wins and shootouts
2: it's anti georgia it is 100% anti georgia
3: yeah it's yeah yeah it is. It is the anti-Georgia, but I'm not. I'm not too thrilled with the way Georgia's winning either. Right,
2: but I was talking about like they like, instead of trying to, to to pack everything in and limit mistakes, it's more like no, we you have all of the leash, <laughs> right? Go. Right. J, you know what, Jalen? Yeah. I believe that our offense will be the most successful if you are not afraid of anything and just it's like try it's, it's everything.
3: Like, it's like old school, like Loyola Marymount basketball. Yeah, like we're just gonna we're just we're not even really gonna we're going to intentionally not really play defense. We're just going to get you into a a pace of play that is good, that we're going to be more comfortable with. We're going to be in better shape than you. We're going to chuck threes and you're not going to, we're going to let you shoot open shots and you're not going to be able to resist because you're not used to taking those open shots. And it's like, uh, you know, if one of those teams is more comfortable in that setting than the other. And uh, so Oklahoma, Hey, Maybe we should just excuse, excuse this.
2: I mean, but you are playing with fire, so it's like you excuse yeah, you it fire. to you excuse it to a limit. You might not predict it. You know this.
3: Oklahoma, if Oklahoma gets to, a, to to the playoffs, they'll be fine in the, in the first round. They'll they'll keep pace with someone. It'll be a fun game and lose. But they're but they're not going to win a national title.
2: Correct. Sorry, Tom. Did did we cut you off? No, all good.
0: Oklahoma sucks.
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Ohio State again. It's, I mean, this was a day for, uh, for, for potent offense is just messing around, but that's what we get in November. You know, this it's especially here because we've got three turnovers lost for the Ohio State offense, but Uh, and I made this case on CBS Sports HQ earlier tonight. Always make sure. I mean, if you're just like out and about CBS Sports HQ, you can find it on your mobile device, cbssportshq.com or through the CBS Sports mobile app. Uh, Highlights, analysis, all that good stuff. I think that uh, this was a good reminder for Ohio State's defense as one of the best defensive units in the country because the Buckeyes offense with the – Turnovers continued to make life a little bit difficult for that group, and Chase Young and the rest of them were feasting. Tom, did you think that you came out with any like good notes, positive or negative, about this Ohio State team, at least in terms of its national championship contention, uh, its ability to to continue and finish the job with Michigan coming up next week and then either Wisconsin or Minnesota in the Big Ten title game?
0: Um, nothing's changed for me about how I feel about this Ohio state team. It's the best team in the country. It's the most complete team in the country. And this is kind of like that Oklahoma TCU game where, I mean, the final score was a little misleading that Ohio state won by 11. And yes, it's the first time like they had to go into a fourth quarter where it was only like a one score game and things were in doubt. But if Justin Fields doesn't fumble right before crossing the goal line in the first quarter, if Justin Fields doesn't fumble in the third quarter, if J.K. Dobbins doesn't fumble in the third quarter. Ohio State fumbled four times, lost three of them. Ten of Penn State's points came off them. They, they scored the two touchdowns pretty much in a 25-second span of game time because of the fumble that made this game a lot closer than it actually was. Ohio State was by far the better team In this game, Ohio State just took advantage of a couple mistakes, which is what, or I'm sorry, Penn State took advantage of a couple mistakes, which is exactly what Penn State needed to do to make this a game. And that's what the final outcome was. But at no point, even when this game was at 21 to 17, did the thought enter my mind that Penn State was going to win this game. And it's because of what you said about that defense. The thing, I mean, they were just magnificent. Chase Young's first game back, ho hum. Nine tackles, three sacks, sacks, four (laughs) tackles for loss. Pete Werner, 10 sack tackles. You know, it's – they just dominated. They knocked Sean Clifford out of the game. And here's one of my takeaways. Will Levis came in and I don't – I mean, small sample size alert and everything, but I feel like Will Levis might be a better option for this Penn State offense simply because he adds a dimension to it that they really don't have with Clifford because I don't – I don't think Clifford, we've talked about him before. I think that he's a perfectly fine quarterback to keep you in games. He's not going to win games. He's not going to win games like this for you. So at least Levis, when we talk about this Penn State offense, we talk about how it's pretty much K.J. Hamler or bust, and they need Hamler to make these big plays for them to, you know, really have success moving the ball down the field and putting points on the board. At least with his legs, Levis gives you something that's not just K.J. Hamler, and we saw – when he came in, since he's a dual threat QB that Ohio State hadn't prepared for, it took them some time to get you know ready for it. Like they were moving the ball on him and they were having success, and then obviously Ohio State adjusted, figured it out, and kind of squashed it. But I just, I think the biggest takeaway for me in this game is that maybe Will Levis will be Penn State's quarterback come next season.
3: So I, I think that had Sean Clifford not gotten hurt, that. the the game would have gotten even more out of hand. I agree. So I agree with you to a degree. And yet I also think that the 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 change up of what Will Levis brought to the table for Penn State allowed them to to sort of put put Ohio State in a in a bind and allowed them force Ohio State to adjust. But I think if Will Levis is your quarterback like next week, and whoever – who's Penn State playing next week? I don't even know. Rutgers. Uh, right, oh, <laughs> no, never, never well, well, then. If you're, if you're playing a real – like a, a, a living, breathing team next week with Will Levis as a quarterback, and they're preparing for Will Levis, I don't necessarily think he has the same impact. Not that he won't be a quarterback – good quarterback eventually. I just think that his value there was like the juice – it was almost like the the Matt Fink going in and went as a as a backup against Utah it was like they hadn't prepared for Matt Fink he was throwing up bombs and i got, I, I think it was the, the spot there the opportunity that Will Levis took advantage of and all that said you know you, you you said it like this was a you almost get to check two boxes with ohio state you check the box they win a close game but you also check the box they dominated because they did dominate penn state and if justin fields doesn't fumble that ball the one inch line going in and it's 21 nothing that that feels like a too big of a a lead for penn state to inch back into it and and i think it could have gotten pretty bad after that
0: yeah and james franklin opting to punt twice in ohio state territory early in the game just Man, (laughs) I don't think it's I I, it was so perfect to me that Penn State punted once, I think, at the 42 and once at the Ohio State 36 and then Ohio State, which was in the lead already. And, you know, was the 20 point favorite in this game, had a fourth down on one drive, went for it on like fourth and five at like the 40. And then again, inside the 10, went for it on fourth and goal and scored a touchdown. So it was like, you know. That was the game to me, or at least the different style of approaches and why one team is so much better than the other in a nutshell.
2: And one of those punts was uh, the response was a 91-yard touchdown drive. Maybe Without the other one, a too. a single passing yard. Yeah.
0: Penn State, which had allowed an average of 76 rushing yards per game, allowed 91 rushing yards on Ohio State's opening drive.
2: So Justin Fields did a great job uh, with his legs, and he and J.K. Dobbins are are very very dynamic. It where are we at with Justin Fields? I mean, is it even like is it is it fair to put the microscope on him? Is he in the conversation that we the kind of conversations where we're splitting hairs between uh, a Joe Burrow and a Justin Fields, or where we're looking at? Justin Fields as one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country because I think he's a very very good quarterback and I think he's a very very gifted quarterback and I think he fits well with Ohio State but I think we saw some things uh, the fumble included against Penn State and we've seen at times this season that uh, I don't know I'm, I'm stopping a little bit short of naming Justin Fields as the reason why Ohio State is the team that it is,
3: I, I just think Ryan Day has done a phenomenal job of playing to his strengths. Because Justin Fields <clears throat> always feels like he, like if I'm if I'm a fan of a team playing Ohio State, I would be terrified of Justin Fields. You're in constant fear of what he can do, and and yet. He never feels like the focal point of Ohio State's offense. He almost feels like this this complement to everything else that's surrounding him, and 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 in that, I think you, you never see him. You don't often see him put in bad situations. You, you know, he's got. It feels like he always knows where to go with the football. Um, I just think that that what they're doing to prepare him and the the system that they put around him is both makes him dangerous without putting him in compromising spots. And so and it helps you got J.K. Dobbins. It helps you have all these receivers that can go make plays. Uh, but I'm, I'm kind of with you in what you're saying, and which to me is exciting in a way because I think there's still more evolution to go with him. Like I sure. think next year is going to be the, the year. For Justin Fields. Um, and this year has just been a pleasant surprise. Honestly. I mean that he felt. What did he, what, he have two fumbles a today? Uh, that he. Like going into this game. I think he had what. 41 touchdowns and one turnover. Which mm-hmm. was. Which led the nation. Was the best ratio in the nation. Which is. Cr- which is crazy. To think about. The limited experience he has. Not only in. in college at this point. But in high school. Didn't play a ton in high school. Had some injuries. Like. To, only had. 18 starts or something in his high school career and and spring and summer the the word was I don't know if he's can can limit his turnovers enough and now here he is so I, I just think that that says a lot about his growth a lot about Ryan Day's ability to to put him in a position to be successful and it says a lot about how much better he's going to continue to get
0: yeah I think he's really good I mean I think that if you're if you're picking quarterbacks for your team in college right now, you'd probably take Burrow before him at the moment. You'd probably take Tua before him at the moment. And I think even though he's got lesser numbers this year than him, you're taking Trevor Lawrence before him. But I'm taking Justin Fields before I take Jalen Hurts. I'm taking him before I take anybody else. I think he's really good, and I think he's also in the perfect situation.
3: So, but but let's... Make sure we touch on my Heisman. My Heisman is Chase Young, who was once again dominant. What do you have? Three sacks. Mm-hmm. You just can't like. Is there an offensive tackle in the country in, in, in no. all of college football? No. That that you can just block him one on one with? No. 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 It, no. It's no amazing. One. Yeah. I can't remember seeing a guy this dominant in the I... in these games in in games this big the way he takes over like that is 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 phenomenal.
2: It's because he's special. Like he's he's truly unique. We sit around and we throw out a lot of platitudes and we call players first round picks and he's in the mix for the number 1 overall NFL draft pick. But no, I I mean, Barton, you you know this. Like Chase Young has been special, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's like yeah. I, I felt like he early in the game. Some people were like, "Yeah, that dude over there, different. Like different mentality, different personality. Like the the physical skills are there, yes, but there's also just a unique drive. Which there's just like all of the intangibles that go with his NFL ready frame and uh, physicality." Uh, everything that I've read and everything that I've I've studied and heard and talked to uh, suggests that we are dealing with someone special. So I I would love. I mean, Tom, you've got a Heisman ballot. Can we influence you here? I know everyone tries to influence you.
3: I, I think I think that Chase Young is the. Do if- you have a Heisman ballot, Tom? Okay, well, I'm putting you on the spot. Who is your Heisman? Who is your one and two? He can't I'm reveal. Not to say. He's
2: not allowed uh, to reveal. He's gonna write a column uh, yeah. after after the Heisman trophy is announced. He he explains his pick. But you don't have to say anything. But I'm gonna wink once. You wink twice at me as we speak on Skype without video. All you, right. Is I, I will. Is Chase will, Young gonna have a spot? Could be second or third. Could be first. Whatever you feel feel okay with.
0: Going back to just like anybody blocking Chase Young, I don't know if you guys saw it, but Dennis Dodd interviewed James Franklin on, on HQ for the part of our pregame this morning. <laughs> he made a comment about how are you how are you guys planning to stop Chase Young or block Chase Young? And Franklin just like laughs to himself. He goes, you're, you're not blocking Chase Young. <laughs> he's, he's like, he's going to get a sack. He's going to get at least one. He'll probably get two. He's like, we just got to make plays between them. <laughs>
3: It's it's crazy. Can you? I mean, can you imagine just acknowledging this guy will get a sack?
0: It <laughs> like, never happens. He's like, there's James Frank is basically like, there's no way we're stopping him for an entire game. He's going to be in the backfield to nearly every
2: play. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, are you going to give him a second place vote, Tom?
0: First, give him a first. Find out like roughly two minutes after the Heisman results are announced.
2: coming up on the other side more of our week 13 thoughts including notes from georgia's narrow win at home against texas a&m and more next As one door closes, another opens. The 2020 fantasy baseball season is over, but 2021 prep is just beginning. Join Scott White and me, Frank Stample, on Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, as we take an early look at position previews, review mock drafts, and react in real time to the MLB hot stove. Not only that, we'll be welcoming in some of the best guests in the industry to try and figure out what was real and what wasn't from the abbreviated 60-game season. Listen Tuesdays and Thursdays on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are found.
1: Yo, it's two-time Super Bowl champion, Bryant McFadden, also known as B-Mac. Mike, check, one, two, one, two. And that's Patrick Peterson, a fellow cornerback, my cousin, and now my co-host on the new podcast, All Things Covered. Part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. This season, Pat will go from the football field on Sundays to the studio on Mondays to bring you the perspective of an active player at the top of his game. And the name says it all. Sure, we'll catch up with Pat P on how he and the Cardinals are faring, but we'll also talk about other sports, our personal interests, and social issues. Then we'll cover even more with the prominent guests each week. With 17 years of NFL cornerback experience between the two of us, We think you enjoy our coverage skills. So download and subscribe now to get weekly episodes released first thing Tuesday morning. All Things Covered is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are found.
2: So the Bulldogs. It was a good recruiting visit. I just love these lights. Great lights. Good for the recruits. To see these lights, everybody was so excited about their LED lights. Uh, Georgia wins nineteen thirteen against Texas A and M. The Kellen Mond stays being an All American when down by double digits. That guy puts up incredible numbers against zone defenses in fourth quarters.
3: And, and the uh, Kellen Mond experience is quite the roller coaster. It's awesome. As long as you know it, like
2: you need right. to know going in that this can't be one of those viral videos that catches you off guard. Like it's, you need to know what it is going in and the Kellen Mond experience. I feel like that's what we got here. Um, against Georgia, Georgia's defense was awesome. Uh, Georgia's lone touchdown drive shocker came with a couple of third down passes from Jake Fromm, but not a great Jake Fromm day. Uh, Barton, I'll let you take first crack at this. You know, how, how do we digest Georgia's nineteen uh, thirteen win over Texas A&M as the Bulldogs do maintain their number four ranking in the college football playoffs? And with LSU's win over Arkansas, we are set for the SEC championship game. It will be LSU against Georgia. You
3: know, Georgia fans seem to have a – a sensitivity towards my comments to them more so than other fan bases. More because than Texas A&M? I it, like, every time, I guess someone's like sniffed out my HQ um, hit today about, you know, I just, well, I can't remember what I said, but I just said I had some concerns basically. And I get some, some hits in my mentions from Georgia fans, and it's like, it doesn't, like, none of it really matters. Like, we're all just, we can all just talk about. The eye test and I can say I don't think they look like a top 14 they don't look like they're playing like a top 14 to me and you can say you're an idiot they're a top 14 look who they have beaten and whatever like that we can go back and forth like this all day but it just does it it like truly doesn't matter like for some teams it does matter for Alabama it does matter it matters if we think they're the fourth best team or if they're not because they 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 don't control what's in front of them but for Georgia it, it doesn't matter. Because ultimately, if Georgia is a top four team, then it'll, and if Georgia beats LSU, it'll be in. Georgia doesn't beat LSU, it'll be out. And so all of the other posturing just doesn't matter. I can just tell you that in the age of offense, Georgia doesn't have an offense that I trust. And, I, I, that concerns me. I think LSU is going to be capable of scoring points. How many points? I don't know. My hunch is it'll be more than Georgia. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. but like, hey, I, if if Georgia manages to boa constrictor LSU and win that game, that'll be awesome. Like, I will be very. I'll, it'll be. I'll be interested in like a very scientific way. Of how that takes place, and it'll be fun to see. Um, but I, I, I just think Georgia right now, and and I don't want it to get in the way of like, I don't want that to overshadow how good I think their defense is because that defense is sick. They just held A and M to negative one yards rushing, I think. But uh, but offensively, man, you got to give me give me something more than that. I mean, A and M outgained them today. That's that's concerning to me.
0: I want to start by saying I hate the lights. (laughs) I hate that the lights have become a thing, not just in Athens, but at other places. I think it's stupid. I think it's pointless. I think we've just reached a place where we've got so many cool things that we ran out of cool things, so we just went back to stupid things. And the lights are stupid. As for the game, (laughs) yeah, uh, I mean, Georgia won, and if not for the lights, I probably would have fallen asleep. So maybe that's why the lights are there to keep people awake while they're watching a Georgia game. Because man, they are boring. And it's not—I'm not saying Georgia's
2: bad. Georgia's not bad, but good. My God, Georgia's an NFL team. They've got future NFL players, and they're just doing NFL stuff.
0: Yeah, it's another Jake Fromm stat line: eleven of twenty-three for 163 yards and a touchdown. Ooh boy. And it's like every time I would look up and Jake Fromm was allowed to throw the ball down the field, he would complete the pass. And then they would kind of like not allow him to throw the ball down the field anymore. And it's just, the, the, uh, it's the boa constrictor, man. They get around you. They slowly wrap around your body. They get, you know, their ears surrounded, And then they just start to squeeze
2: so Auburn's Auburn's defense held LSU to 23 and they did that in Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. Do I think Georgia can hold LSU under 30 in Atlanta for the SEC championship game? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's, what's terrifying is then if you are and no one's rooting against anyone here, but if you're looking at the college football playoff picture, And I think that especially with Oregon losing, we're starting to entertain more and more sort of like what the different scenarios are with number four, because it's not going to be as clean because if Oregon beats Utah, uh, what do we do there? Well, Georgia could beat LSU and I could see it happening. And then all of a sudden, what are we left with? Like Georgia at three LSU at four, I guess Ohio state one Clemson two.
3: yeah, Yeah, (laughs) you sound so upset. (laughs) No, no, I mean, what are you? What are you getting at? Like, if if they if Georgia beats LSU, are you saying that that's like a disappointing four? Or what are you getting? What's your What's your point there?
2: It's a, a little bit along the lines that we are dealing with a group of college football playoff contenders where a lot of these teams, almost every single one of them except Georgia, has a dynamic offense. And I would argue that Oregon was probably closer to Georgia than Utah is and that Utah is a little bit closer to Clemson, Ohio State, and LSU than Oregon. And that 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 difference – can be interesting and can be unique. I mean, we saw a a Georgia team that yes, they scored a lot more, but they weren't used to getting in big 12 shootouts. Then they went to the Rose bowl and they got into a shootout and won in overtime. And it was like one of the, most exhilarating games that we've had. I mean, the college football playoffs, both semifinals and championship games have given us a lot of blowouts. Oklahoma, Georgia was one of the best that we've had. And one of the real intrigue hooks was that we hadn't seen Georgia really open it up like that. Sony, Michelle, Nick Chubb, they all go crazy. So I'm not saying that they are incapable of being a worthy championship contender. I'm just continuing to, sort of play out the scenario where Georgia ends up being able to beat LSU. And it's again, like you mentioned, comes back to respect for the defense.
3: Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, I, and, and it may very, may very well be when it plays LSU, it might very well turn into that Rose bowl game where it, because LSU can't really stop anybody, uh, it becomes a shootout and just a Georgia runs it all over LSU. Maybe that's what happened. I, I don't know. I mean, and they, if they win it and that's, that's great. I'm just, uh, I, I, I just think that right now, offensively, there's a lot to, a lot to be desired. Um, on the, on the flip side, AM's close. They're getting closer, but I tell you, man, I, I'm ready for Jimbo to join the party here. I, I think that, if, if we can get Jimbo into this whole SEC West elite club and Texas A&M is another really good team, I mean, that, that'll that be fun to see the kind of the gauntlets of the SEC West get raised up another notch. Because clearly, I mean, they're not here yet because they're not beating any of these teams. I guess they could always upset LSU next week, but uh, it doesn't feel like that's going to happen. I I, I just think that it'll be fun if and when Jimbo joins the the upper echelon of that conference.
2: My instant thought is that it's not going to happen until Nick Saban retires. And that might have been part of Texas A&M's thinking the whole time.
3: I mean, is there room for for A and M to displace Auburn, perhaps, as like yes, in that tier?
2: Yes, but I think that what we've got going at LSU right now might be sustainable for at least a half decade.
3: Maybe, maybe, but but or, I mean, next year is going to be fascinating for LSU. They'll have a ton of talent. There's no doubt. But I mean, we'll find out how much Joe, this is Joe Burrow and how much this is Joe Brady. Mm. Because Joe Burrow's gone, is Miles Brennan. Really going to be putting up 45 points a game? Maybe he is, but uh, I don't think we can just assume that. Because look around college football at the teams that are that are doing what LSU's doing right now—they all have elite quarterback play. And if you don't have that guy next year, then I think you can't you can't make any assumptions.
2: Derek King, LSU quarterback. <laughs> Uh, One can dream. Could uh, be. Could be. All right. So what? Uh, what else do we have from our uh, from our notepads from the day?
0: Uh, well, I don't know. Washington State, Oregon State was just a crazy game just now that just finished.
2: Uh, Cougs end up winning. Yep,
0: yeah, with a running for a touchdown with two seconds on the clock.
3: Mm-hmm. Jonathan Smith the most important hire in college football not only is he turning Oregon state around bit by bit little did we know washington would fall apart without him
0: yeah
2: washington As, that is trailing to colorado 20 to 14 right now
3: that was i think shut out in the first half to the number 125 defense in college football
0: i think i think we got to talk about texas
3: Oh yeah, Texas and
2: Tennessee yeah. have the same record.
0: Oh Texas and Illinois have the same record. Oh mediocre ass Texas.
3: <laughs> oh man I, I don't I, like what 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 do you <laughs> do right now if you're a Texas fan? Oh How you, do you feel
2: you want to get rid of Tom Herman if you're a tech if you actually are a Texas fan. Because that's the thing is I'm emotionally separated from it. And because I'm emotionally separated from it, I'm like, I think Tom and Herman is a good football coach. And I think that to act swiftly right now would be misguided. And you might have to like reset the clock because you know, how many Texas coaching searches have, have gone to, to land the whale. Right. And so, uh, I would just hang on and I would just understand that there's a lot of extenuating circumstances with this in terms of injuries. There've been a lot of close losses. Uh, You know, you there's a a universe where this world or with this Texas season is a little bit different, but you're that's just not the one you're living in. But that is me. Not that is me separated from the Texas fan experience, not being a part of it. If you're a Texas fan, you want urban Meyer to come coach right now.
0: And he's not going to and he's
2: not going to. You want to fire Tom Herman, and you want to go strike out on your top three choices. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it, that's because that's the thing, man. I understand why any Texas fan right now would be feeling that way because this is year three. They're six and five, four and four in the Big Twelve. After you know winning ten games last year, after beating George in the Sugar Bowl, thinking you know everything's all right, here we go. After our long wait, things you know we we got the coach we wanted. And now we're ready to take off. And now they feel very much differently. And that's the thing: if you do fire Herman, sure you could say we want Urban Meyer, but you're not getting Urban Meyer. So who are you replacing Tom Herman with that is guaranteed to make things any better than they are?
3: But guys, is uh, are y'all addressing this as if firing Tom Herman is actually like a an option that any sane AD would consider?
2: No, I'm talking about fan. Not an. I know, AD. I know
3: you are, but uh, but but, right. So, are we in agreement that like that's not actually something that's even even on the table? Correct. Okay. But the well, conver-
2: but the conversation is different going into next season, where you're dealing with a coach who is going to be what like all right. So he is sixteen and ten in Big Twelve play right now, and that seven and two last year is going to look like an anomaly next to five and four and either five and four or four and five.
3: Yeah, I mean, there, there's no... There's no excuse for six and six or whatever they're going to end up being. Probably probably seven and five. Um, I guess we can't assume that.
2: but It's Texas Tech. I'll give them seven and five, five and four.
3: So... But either way, like last year, I think was a definitive success. It wasn't where it wasn't like the finish line. It wasn't where Texas wants to be, but last year was a success. And I'll tell you what does what like bugs me is when people are like, the oh look at at Ogeron at LSU, and. You know LSU wanted Herman and they didn't get him and now they got O and Texas got Herman and man maybe Texas should have been looking for Orgeron the whole time, or just sort of like scenarios like that and and the same thing with the Ed Ohrziran at USC thing like maybe USC should have never fired Ed Ohrziran and let him stay on as after the interim, like <clears throat> Ed o, coach O is like a perfect fit for LSU and he and his success. Is a product of this perfect adaptation to this environment and the way he's handled his coaching staff and all these other factors. And, and I, Tom Herman may not be the, the right guy for Texas. I, I don't know. But just because he's six and six right now doesn't mean that Coach O or Matt Rule or anyone else would be any better. Like, it's just, you don't you never know how any coach is going to handle any different setting. I mean, Charlie, Charlie Strong, it seemed like a no-brainer when Charlie, Charlie Strong went from Louisville to Texas. And it's, it appears that the Louisville deal was just the outlier for Charlie Strong. Maybe Houston was an outlier for Tom Herman. But uh, I, it, there's also reason to think maybe this season is the outlier, considering all the injuries they've had. I'm, I'm not trying to cape up for Tom Herman as much as I just think the— the like scenarios that we play out of, oh, well, you should have hired this coach, or if only this coach was here, you just don't know how different coaches react in different settings. And by the way, Texas has been a dang graveyard for successful coaches. Like Manny Diaz goes to Texas and can't coordinate a good defense to save his life, and everywhere else he goes can play phenomenal defense. Um, you know, Charlie Strong, baller coach at Louisville, goes to Texas, can't get it done. Now Tom Herman goes to Texas, can't get it done. Todd Orlando, stud defensive coordinator, all of a sudden people are calling for his head. It's just like what I don't know what it is about Texas. I don't know if it's the expectations. I don't know if it's the players and their uh, uh, you know the, the I don't know, just the players going to Texas are too entitled or what it is, but. It's it's become a tough spot for good coaches to go and and, and be successful, and it's co- kind of killed some careers lately.
2: I don't have any explanation. I think that uh, I think that we judged. I think that Texas might have some Michigan to it. Michigan, by the way, continues to be playing its best football of the season. Uh, Texas might have some Michigan to it in that internally, what's ju- the the goalposts for success and what makes a successful season might not match all of the fans and it might not match some of us on the outside. Does that make sense?
0: Or it might just not be that good.
2: What, that the Texas program might just not be that good?
0: No, I think I I I agree with a lot of what Barton was saying. I think that we're overlooking a lot of injuries this team's had defensively, which doesn't excuse all of it because they should still be better. They're still supposed to be more talented than, you know, everybody else in the conference, not named Oklahoma, and they don't play up to it. And I do think that there is some changes that maybe need to be made on the coaching staff, not necessarily with Herman, but I think, you know, maybe they need to shake things up. Maybe sometimes you just – you need that kind of wake up call to get a little adrenaline rush through your team and through your program to get things headed in the right direction. And I wouldn't be shocked at all. If we do see those kind of changes in the offseason. I don't think Orlando should be one of them to go because again, I think the defense has dealt with a lot of injuries and it's been stuck in a lot of bad situations because of it. But I mean, at some point, how long does Texas have to be this team before we accept that maybe this is just who Texas is now?
2: Well, and that's where you say that Texas has only won three Big 12 titles.
0: Yeah, and since, you know, Vince Young hasn't been there in a long time. And there hasn't been a ton of success since Vince Young left.
2: Well, no. I mean, they made the Big 12. I mean, <laughs> one of their their last Big 12 championship was when they made the, uh, the BCS National Championship game with Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy mm-hmm. gets injured. Garrett Gilbert comes in. But your point is correct that we're dealing with, what, like 22 or 23 years of Big 12 conference history and Texas has only won the Big 12 three times. This is Oklahoma's league. Texas is a, uh, they are number one in the conference in terms of their stock price and their revenue and their Forbes value and they are number two in terms of football success on the field.
0: I mean since since twenty ten, this is a program that has finished with seven losses more time than it's finished with ten wins. Three times as much.
2: Wow. Hmm.
3: It's interesting.
2: Uh, Tennessee.
0: Help, I'm sorry, four times as many because there's been four seven loss seasons since twenty ten.
2: Uh, Tennessee did uh, did get that W though on the field. Mm-hmm.
0: Very proud of my beloved Vols. Proud of Bob. me, that money line sprinkle. Uh,
3: I have faith the old Vols getting it done this year. I think that I still think when you know that has been a coaching staff that I've always had a hunch was pretty good, and even in the midst of the BYU and Georgia State mess, I don't know. There's I feel like there was reason to not give up on those guys, and they're 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 making good on that right now
2: um the reason to talk
0: about miami don't we
2: oh yeah we do uh the the reason why we should have never doubted tennessee in this spot was jeremy pruitt being the defensive coordinator when alabama's defense totally shut down kelly bryant in the sugar bowl college football playoff semifinal y'all remember that game
3: uh yeah yeah
2: kelly bryant couldn't do anything
3: they had the book on him
2: He had the book. He had it ready to go. All right, so Miami loses to FIU in Marlins Park. It is a travesty of a game, not because Miami lost, but because our baseball stadium unders that were cruising came to a catastrophic collapse in the fourth quarter. Man, I thought
3: baseball stadium under was in great shape early on, and then I looked up at the final score, and I I was disappointed to see it. Feels like the feels like a good principle though, Chip.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna keep coming back to it. Don't you worry. We've got some bowl <laughs> hey, games that you know provide did, opportunities. You know,
3: did, you know what did hit was Scott Satterfield single senior night.
2: They put it on Syracuse. Fifty six thirty four, right?
3: Yeah. Jeez. Scott Satterfield senior night. But back to Miami. Does I, I feel like all of college football it's just, it's just the appropriate thing to do, and contracts be damned. It just, it feels like the universe is just demanding that Manny Diaz and Butch Davis trade keys, <laughs> and Butch takes over Miami, <laughs> and he takes FIU, and we just call it a day, and, and, and everyone will be like, that, that will satisfy the gods of football.
0: Uh, Can I read you guys a quote from FIU linebacker, Sage Lewis, please quote, bring it. (laughs) We wasn't even calling them the university of Miami during the week. We were calling them the university of Coral Gables We're the true Miami school. We have more students internationally. We did it for the university and really for the world.
3: (laughs) Miami's been, been rocking this fake swag for so long. Like, they they they're trying to play the role of the U, but they don't really have it. Butch Davis knows how to bring out the true swagger. Like that that just sounds like a Miami, like a University of Miami guy talking right there, only he's at FIU. Let's get it let's get it back squared away. Let's get it let's get the stars aligned to get Butch back on board.
0: Yeah, it's like I tweeted earlier tonight. It wasn't a great Saturday for the Back Brothers, Texas and Miami.
2: Jeez.
3: this I saw, I think it was Chris Felica that, that tweeted this. Miami is the first team in 40 years, I think, that has lost three games in one year as a 14 or more point favorite. hmm <laughs> That's pretty strong. That's really strong. That's because you're, you have to be good enough to, earn to be a 14-point favorite. <laughs> but you have to be bad enough to be able to lose three times. That's remarkable.
2: I I don't know what to make of this Miami team or Manny Diaz other than it's an untrustworthy uh item. But like I wouldn't I would not buy uh I would not buy Miami at the fish market. Who who does Miami play next week? Let's see. Is it Duke?
0: I don't know. Can we can we not make the argument that or not it, Yeah, it's argument,
2: Duke. Yeah, they're playing in Durham. They might lose, honestly.
0: But propose the fact that maybe Miami looked at FIU and, like Barton was saying, Miami likes to project the swagger and think that it's you know still Miami and th- didn't really think too much about FIU and then just kind of got hit in the mouth and had no idea how to respond and then FIU just went out and beat him.
2: I'm willing to because, con-
0: because they did have that swagger at Miami didn't.
2: I'm willing to consider that because you are coming off. If you're Miami, if you're a Miami player, you beat Florida State and got Willie fired. You put 52 on Louisville as Jaron Williams through six touchdown passes. You might have come into this game overlooking FIU. Yes. Willing to consider that for sure. Still comes and back FIU to FIU
0: definitely wasn't looking past Miami.
2: No, not at all. Um, let's see. Anything else stand out to y'all? Uh,
3: is this Mike Loxley hire going to go down in flames quicker than we all imagined?
0: <laughs> Things are so bad at Maryland that even Nebraska can blow it out.
3: I mean, you're, you're getting Nebraska get-right games. At home, and you're not even recruiting that well in the state of Maryland. I don't know what what to tell you, man. This is this is this is getting ugly in Maryland.
0: Yeah. I I I know this stat isn't fair, but I'm going to read it anyway. Okay. Mike Loxley has now been a head coach for 45 games. He is six and 39. Yeah. And the New Mexico aspect of that. Cannot be overstated the state of that program and the fact he didn't do a whole lot to improve it. But he's he's only 4-13 in Maryland.
3: Uh, oh, from his interim days? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, what about Virginia Tech? I good, mean,
2: good football team right now.
3: How about that? Yeah. 28 nothing over Pitt. Hendon Hooker coming on as a quarterback and sort of warmed into this role. Now, he, look, he's completing like 77% of his passes. Um, uh, he, well, he did uh, today. But, man, I mean, I'm i to have to dig up. I'm going to have to turn on some Virginia Tech film, figure them out. They, they seem to have got something rolling.
2: So my my read on Virginia Tech, I I think I've got a pretty good feel for him right now. Um their defense is playing above their head. They're doing a really good job. Uh, Bud Foster's coaching his ass off as you might expect from a Hall of Fame assistant that is in, in literally the final years of his career. I think that on the offensive side with Damon Hazelton and if you they've got like just enough skill position players that when they get in some of those like this Virginia tech team loves throwing some goal line fades because they've got Hazleton and a few other dudes that can just go up and make plays, but their goal today against Pittsburgh and the reason why hooker had such a high completion percentage is they just did short, easy stuff side to side because Pitt's so good on the defensive line and just sort of playing downhill that they just decided to test the secondary and Secondary didn't go out there, make tackles, make plays. And so the Virginia Tech was able to move the ball. The defense continued to play above its head. Basically, since that Duke game, the defense has played at uh, a little bit of another level. So, I the, again, they are not the best team in the ACC Coastal on paper, and they are probably not the second best team in the ACC on paper. But I think that They're going to beat Virginia. And I think that when they show up against Clemson, they're not going to get blown out. And that's the nicest thing I can say about it.
0: I think they will beat Virginia as well. And I think when they show up against Clemson, they will get blown out.
3: Uh, The the last uh, game that I had that needs to be addressed is... My question for you guys: Did Clay Helton save his job today? No, no. You don't think so? I no. think he might have. Nah.
2: Great win. Glad you know what? It's almost easier this way. You got you went and got the bell back.
3: Send him out feeling good.
2: Yeah. Nice guy. It's a nice guy. You get to send him out feeling good.
3: I mean, does
0: beating UCLA save Clay Helton's job? does uh,
3: it's it's less about it's less about this win saved his job and more about if if the new athletic director truly doesn't really want to get rid of him and truly wants to sort of hold for another year and, and not fire a coach and hire a coach like first day on the job and if if he really like kind of wants an excuse to keep him around then clay helton you know maybe he did just enough to with all the injuries to you know, finish strong and, and, and just give him a stay of execution for another year.
0: I will concede this. Maybe bone has a short list that is like urban Meyer and James Franklin. Okay. And he puts out feelers to them. And if he finds out neither of them are interested right now, then yeah, maybe Clay Helton does get another year.
2: Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll jump on that Tom, but I just think James Franklin would say yes. If he got asked. I had That's, no sort no sources on that. That's right, just right, right, right. Yeah, 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 I it mean did- Chip
0: Patterson I, no. reporting. No. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I, I I, I'm I sure. I'm sure at the seventy fourth minute of this podcast, that'll get clipped.
3: <laughs> <laughs> here goes the, here come the headlines. Right, here come Penn State fans and your hats. Um, but the reality is, I I think that I think James Franklin probably would at least take that call, hear him out.
0: And I see think
3: what, today see what
0: the game was, plan is today was another example of why he would be interested in that job.
2: Yeah. I mean, he they kept replaying that during the uh, big nude Saturday pregame show, but like I had, I had not forgotten, but I had at least in my you know big library of college football memories stashed away. And we talked about it on this podcast, but him coming out last year, I mean, like. We're not elite. Like damn, James. You you said your team wasn't elite. That's uh yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see there. I do not think that Clay Helton saved his job with the win uh, as it cashed the win total over. I will say shout out to that. That was sweet. And as it was a good finish for them to get that win after losing that game. Last year, a little bit of get right, a little bit of revenge, but I I don't see – I see it almost as a little bit of a negative because now uh, USC's regular season is done a week before everyone else and that it's almost like USC does have a head start. If they want to make a change, I don't know when they would announce it or what they would do, but if they plan on firing Clay Helton or if they plan on replacing him – They've got a head start on some other. Uh, they've got a head start on some other jobs potentially. So, we'll see. I don't, I don't think that he saved his job with the win. That's all. Uh, Utah's up thirty-five, nothing though. Arizona might put in a sad touchdown. Good luck.
3: I'm so, I'm so on the. I, I'm I'm gonna go so hard on this Utah train that <laughs> people are gonna start getting really pissed at me. For like believing in this Utah team, but do you know know what? what? Do you know what what
0: sound a Utah train makes?
3: What does it make? You you You. you. (laughs) (laughs) little
0: reward for anybody who listened this long.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, they'll be uh, they'll be listening to us in Australia in about forty-five minutes.
3: That's right. They're waiting on us. They're waiting on it. All right. You can follow him on
2: Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Stage kicks off Tuesday on CBS All Access. There's nothing like it.